Chapter Twelve of the Hampstead Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Hampstead Mystery by John Watson and Arthur Rees. Chapter Twelve. "'Do you think Hill's story is true?' Rolf asked Inspector Chippenfield, as they left Camden Town Police Station and turned in the direction of the tube station. "'We'll soon find out,' replied the inspector. "'Of course there is something in it, but there is no doubt Hill will not stick at a lie to save his own skin. But we are more likely to get at the truth by threatening to arrest him than by arresting him. If he were arrested, he would probably shut up and say no more. And uh, are you going to arrest Birchill? Yes. For the murder? asked Rolf. No, for burglary. It would be a mistake to charge him with murder until we get more evidence. The papers would jeer at us if we charged him with murder and then dropped the charge. Do you think Birchill will squeak? On Hill, said the inspector. When he knows that Hill has been trying to fit him for the murder, he'll try to do as much for Hill. And between them we'll come at the truth. We are on the right track at last, my boy. And thank God, we have beaten our friend Crewe. Inspector Chippenfield's satisfaction in his impending triumph of a crew was increased by a chance meeting with the detective. As the two police officials came out of Leicester Square station on their way to Scotland Yard to obtain a warrant for Birchill's arrest, they saw Crewe in a taxicab. Crewe also saw them, and telling the driver to pull up, leaned out of the window and looked back at the two detectives. When they came up with the taxicab, they saw that Crewe had on a light overcoat and that there was a suitcase beside the driver. Crewe was going on a journey of some kind. "'Anything fresh about the Riverbrook case?' he asked. "'No, nothing fresh,' replied Inspector Chippenfield, looking Crewe straight in the face. "'You are a long time in making an arrest,' said Crewe in a bantering tone. "'We want to arrest the right man,' was the reply. "'There is nothing like getting the right man to start with. "'It saves such a lot of time and trouble. "'Where are you off to?' "'I'm taking a run down to Scotland.' "'The inspector glanced at Crewe rather enviously. "'You are fortunate in being able to enjoy yourself just now,' he said meaningly. "'I won't drop work altogether,' remarked Crewe. "'I'll make a few inquiries there.' "'About the Riversbrook affair?' "'Yes.' With the murderer practically arrested, Inspector Chippenfield permitted himself the luxury of smiling at the way in which Crewe was following up a false scent. "'I thought the murder was committed in London, not in Scotland,' he said." "'Wrong, Chippenfield,' said Crewe with a smile. 
Sir Horace was murdered in Scotland, and his body was brought up to London by train and placed in his own house in order to mislead the police. Goodbye. As the taxicab drove off, Inspector Chippenfield turned to his subordinate and said, We'll rub it into him when he comes back and finds that we've got our man under lock and key. He's on some wild goose chase, Scotland. He might as well go to Siberia while he's about it. With a warrant in his pocket, Inspector Chippenfield, accompanied by Rolfe, set out for Macaulay Mansions, Westminster. They found the mansions to be situated in a quiet and superior part of Westminster, not far from Victoria Station, and consisting of a large block of flats overlooking a square, a pocket-handkerchief patch of green, which was supposed to serve as breathing space for the flats which surrounded it. Macaulay Mansions had no lift, and number 43, the scene of the events of Hill's confession, was on the top floor. Inspector Chippenfield and Rolfe mounted the stairs steadily, and finally found themselves standing on a neat coconut doormat outside the door of number 43. The door was closed. Well, well, said the inspector as he paused panting on the doormat and rang the bell. Snug quarters, these, very snug. Strange that these sort of women never know enough to run straight when they are well off. The door opened, and a young woman confronted them. She was hardly more than a girl, pretty and refined-looking, with large dark eyes, a pathetic drooping mouth, and a wistful expression. She wore a well-made indoor dress of soft satin without ornaments, and her luxuriant dark hair was simply and becomingly coiled at the back of her head. She held a book in her left hand, with one finger between the leaves, as though the summons to the door had interrupted her reading, and glanced inquiringly at the visitors, waiting for them to intimate their business. She was so different from the type of girl they had expected to see, that Inspector Chippenfield had some difficulty in announcing it. "'Are you Miss Fanning?' he asked. "'Yes,' she replied. "'Then you are the young woman we wish to see, and with your permission we'll come inside,' said Inspector Chippenfield, recovering from his first surprise and speaking briskly. They followed the girl into the hall, and into a room off the hall to which she led the way. A small Pomeranian dog, which lay on an easy chair, sprang up, barking shrilly at their entrance. But at the command of the girl it settled down on its silk cushion again. The apartment was a small sitting-room, daintily furnished in excellent feminine taste. Both police officers took in the contents of the room with a glance of trained observers, and both noticed that, prominent among the ornaments on the mantelpiece, stood a photograph of the late Sir Horace Fewbanks in a handsome silver frame. The photograph made it easy for Inspector Chippenfield to enter upon the object of the visit of himself and his subordinate to the flat. 
"'I see you have a photograph of Sir Horace Fewbanks there,' he said in what he intended to be an easy conversational tone, waving his hand towards the mantelpiece. The wistful expression of the girl's face deepened as she followed his glance. "'Yes,' she said simply. "'It is so terrible about him.' "'Was he a... a relative of yours?' asked the inspector. She had come to the conclusion they were police officers, and that they were aware of the position she occupied. "'He was very kind to me,' she replied. "'When did you see him last? How long before he... before he died?' "'Are you detectives?' she asked. "'From Scotland Yard.' replied inspector chippenfield with a bow why have you come here do you think that i that i know anything about the murder not in the least the inspector's tone was reassuring we merely want information about sir horace's movements prior to his departure for scotland when did you see him last i don't remember she said after a pause "'You must try,' said the inspector in a tone which contained a suggestion of command. "'Oh, a few days before he went away.' "'A few days?' repeated the inspector. "'And you parted on good terms?' "'Yes, on very good terms,' she met his glance frankly. Inspector Chippenfield was silent for a moment. Then fixing his fiercest stare on the girl he remarked abruptly where's birchill birchill she endeavoured to appear surprised but her sudden pallor betrayed her inward anxiety at the question i-i don't know what you mean i mean the man you've been keeping with sir horace fewbanks money said the inspector brutally "'I've been keeping nobody with Sir Horace Fewbanks' money,' protested the girl feebly. "'It's cruel of you to insult me.' "'That'll about do to go on with,' said Inspector Chippenfield, with a sudden change of tone, rising to his feet as he spoke. "'Rolf, keep an eye on her while I search the flat.' Rolf crossed over from where he had been sitting and stood beside the girl. She glanced up at him wildly, with terror dawning in the depth of her dark eyes. "'What do you mean? How dare you?' she cried in an effort to be indignant. "'Now, don't try your tragedy airs on us,' said the inspector. "'We've no time for them. If you won't tell the truth, you had better say nothing at all.' He plunged his hand into a jardiniere and withdrew a briarwood pipe. "'This looks to me like Birchill's property. Keep that dog back, Rolf.' The little dog had sprung off his cushion and was eagerly following the inspector out of the room. Rolf caught up the animal in his arms and returned to where the girl was sitting. Her face was white and strained, and her big dark eyes followed Inspector Chippenfield, but she did not speak. The inspector tramped noisily into the little hall, leaving the door of the room wide open. 
Rolfe and the girl saw him fling open the door of another room, a bedroom, and stride into it. He came out again shortly, and went down the hall to the rear of the flat. A few minutes later he came back to the room where he had left Rolfe and the girl. His knees were dusty, and some feathers were adhering to his jacket, as though he had been plunging in odd nooks and corners, and beneath beds. He was hot, flurried, and out of temper. "'The bird's flown,' were his first words addressed to Rolf. "'I've hunted high and low, but I cannot find a sign of him. It beats me how he's managed it. He couldn't have gone out the front way without my seeing him go past the door, and the back windows are four stories high from the ground.' "'Perhaps he wasn't here when we came in,' suggested Rolf. "'Oh, yes, he was. Why, he'd been smoking that pipe in this very room. She was clever enough to open the window to let out the tobacco smoke before she left us in. But she didn't hide the pipe properly, for I saw the smoke from it coming out of the jardinière. And when I put my hand on the bowl, it was hot. Feel it now.' Rolf placed his hand on the pipe which Inspector Chippenfield had deposited on the table. The bowl was still warm, indicating that the pipe had recently been alight. "'He must have been smoking the pipe when we knocked at the door and dashed away to hide before she let us in,' grumbled the inspector. "'But the question is, where can he have got to? I've hunted everywhere, and there's no way out except by the front door, so far as I can see. Go and have a look yourself, Rolf, and see if you can find a trace of him. I'll watch the girl. Rolf put down the little dog he had been holding, and went out into the hall. The dog accompanied him, frisking about him in a friendly fashion. Rolf first examined the bedroom that he had seen Inspector Chippenfield enter. It was a small room containing a double bed. It was prettily furnished in white, with white curtains and toilet table articles in ivory to match. A glance round the room convinced Rolf that it was impossible for a man to secrete himself in it. The door of the wardrobe had been flung open by the inspector and the dresses and other articles of feminine apparel it contained flung out on the floor. There was no other hiding-place possible, except beneath the bed, and the ruthless hand of the inspector had torn off the white muslin bed-hangings, revealing emptiness underneath. Rolf went out into the hall again, and entered the room next the bedroom. This apartment was apparently used as a dining-room, for it contained a large table, a few chairs, a small sideboard, a spirit-stand, a case of books and ornaments, and two small oak-presses. Plainly, there was no place in it where a man could hide himself. The next room was the bathroom, which was also empty. Opposite the bathroom was a small bedroom, very barely furnished, offering no possibility of concealment. Then the passage opened into a large, roomy kitchen, the full width of the rooms on both sides of the hall, and the kitchen completed the flat. Rolf glanced keenly around the kitchen. There were no cooking appliances visible, or pots or pans. 
but there was much lumber and odds and ends as though the place were used as a storeroom presumably miss fanning obtained her meals from the restaurant on the ground floor of the mansions and had no use for a kitchen the room was dirty and dusty and crowded with all kinds of rubbish but the miscellaneous rubbish stored in the room offered no hiding place for a man rolfe nevertheless made a conscientious search shifting the lumber about and ferreting into dark corners without result finally he crossed the room to look out of the window which had been left open no doubt by inspector chippenfield the mansions in which the flat was situated formed part of a large building with back windows overlooking a small piece of ground the flat was on the fourth story rolfe looked around the neighboring roofs and down onto the ground fifty feet below but could see nothing he withdrew his head and was turning to leave the room when his attention was attracted by the peculiar behavior of the dog which had followed him throughout on his search the little animal after sniffing about the floor ran to the open window and started whining and jumping up at it rolf quickly returned to the window and looked out why of course he muttered how could i have overlooked it inspector he called aloud come here inspector chippenfield appeared in the kitchen in a state of some excitement at the summons he carried the key of the front room in his hand having taken the precaution to lock miss fanning in before he responded to the call of his colleague what is it rolf he asked eagerly this dog has tracked him to the window so he's evidently escaped that way explained rolf briefly he's climbed along the window ledge inspector chippenfield approached the window and looked out a broad window ledge immediately beneath the window ran the whole length of the building beneath the windows on the fourth floor and so far as could be seen continued round the side of the house it was a dizzy but not a difficult feat for a man of cool head to walk along the ledge to the corner of the house i wonder where that infernal ledge goes to said inspector chippenfield vainly twisting his neck and protruding his body through the window to a dangerous extent to see round the corner of the building i dare say it leads to the water-pipe and the scoundrel knowing that has been able to get round shin down and get clear away i'll soon find out said rolf i'll walk along to the corner and see do you think you can do it rolf asked the inspector nervously if you fell he glanced down to the ground far below with a shudder nonsense laughed rolf i won't fall why the ledge is a foot broad and i've got a steady head he may not have got very far after all and i may be able to see him from the corner he got out of the window as he spoke and started to walk carefully along the ledge towards the corner of the building he reached it safely peered round screwed himself round sharply and came back to the open window almost at a run you're right he gasped as he sprang through i saw him 
He is climbing down the spouting, using the chimney brickwork as a brace for his feet. If we get downstairs, we may catch him. He was out of the kitchen in an instant, up the passage, and racing down the steps at a time before the inspector had recovered from his surprise. Then he followed as quickly as he could. But Rolfe had a long start of him. When Inspector Chippenfield reached the ground floor, Rolfe was nowhere in sight. The inspector looked up and down the street, wondering what had become of him. At that instant a tall young man, bareheaded and coatless, came running out of an alleyway, pursued by Rolf. "'Stop him!' cried Rolf to his superior officer. Inspector Chippenfield stepped quickly out into the street in front of the fugitive. The young man canooned into the burly officer before he could stop himself and the inspector clutched him fast. He attempted to wrench himself free, but Rolf had rushed to his superior's assistance and drew the baton with which he had provided himself when he set out from Scotland Yard. "'You needn't bother about using that thing,' said the young man contemptuously. "'I'm not a fool. I realize you've got me.' "'We'll not give you another chance,' Inspector Chippenfield dexterously snapped a pair of handcuffs on the young man's wrist. "'What are these for?' said the captive, regarding them sullenly. "'You'll know soon enough when we get you upstairs,' replied the inspector. "'Now then, up you go.' They reascended the stairs in silence. Inspector Chippenfield and Rolfe walking on each side of their prisoner, holding him by the arms, in case he tried to make another bolt. They reached the flat and found the front door open, as they had left it. The inspector entered the hall and unlocked the drawing-room door. The girl was sitting on the chair where they had left her, with her head bowed down in an attitude of the deepest dejection. She straightened herself suddenly as they entered, and launched a terrified glance at the young man. "'Oh, Fred!' she gasped. "'They were too good for me, Doris,' he responded, as though in reply to her unspoken query. "'I would have got away from this chap,' he indicated Rolf with a nod of his head. "'But I ran into the other one.' He stooped as he spoke to brush with his manacled hands some of the dirt from his clothes, which he had doubtless gained in his perilous climb down the side of the house, and then straightened himself to look loweringly at his captors. He was a tall, slender young fellow of about twenty-five or twenty-six, clean-shaven, with a fresh complexion and a rather effeminate air. He was well dressed in a grey lounge suit, a soft shirt with a high double collar and silk necktie. He looked, as he stood there, more like a dandified city clerk than the desperate criminal suggested by Hill's confession. "'Come on, what's the charge?' he demanded insolently, with a slight glance at his manacled hands. "'Is your name Frederick Birchill?' asked Inspector Chippenfield. The young man nodded. Then, Frederick Birchall, you're charged with burglariously entering the house of Sir Horace Fewbanks at Hempstead. 
on the night of the 18th of August. Burglary, said Birchill. Anything else? That will do for the present, replied the inspector. We may find it necessary to charge you with a more serious crime later. Well, all I can say is that you've got the wrong man. But that is nothing new for you chaps, he added with a sneer. Surely you're not going to charge him with the murder, said the girl imploringly. The inspector's reply was merely to warn the prisoner that anything he said might be used in evidence against him at his trial. He had nothing whatever to do with it. He knows nothing about it, protested the girl. If you let him go, I'll tell you who murdered Sir Horace. Who murdered him? asked the inspector. Hill was the reply. End of chapter 12 of The Hampstead Mystery by John Watson and Arthur Rees Read by Lars Rolander